0: Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, Mike Mayock's paranoia sounds like a great sign for the Raiders organization. We don't have cookies this week, but we do have beer, an IPA to be exact. And with me this week,
1: writing his very own Westeros the Elephant, it's David Newman. Guys, I was told there would be elephants. I really wanted those elephants. I was told there would be some fucking elephants. Where are my elephants? Can't guarantee what those elephants will be doing.
0: Can just guarantee the actual elephants. Uh, well, it's episode one of Game of Thrones. I guess we'll we'll start the next few episodes with just a quick. It's all game, you get for the next month. Game Sorry. of Thrones recap. Um, I thought it was good. I liked it. Good pacing. Things are getting set up. Things are happening.
1: I'm in. I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, it sucks that there's only what five episodes left now, but. Yeah, it should be fun. Accurate. Um, All right, so we've got
0: actually some news because we've got a schedule in the rundown. First story at the top of the podcast. We've got a schedule officially date set. And you know what that means? It means that the schedule wallpaper is soon on its way. The official Better Rivals schedule wallpaper should be out sometime in the next few weeks. Our staff designer, Josie, is furiously working on cursing at least one (laughs) of the 49ers players this
1: year because it's
0: it's definitely an active curse.
1: I think uh, the players that we're going to go toward are, uh, let's see, I think maybe Quan Alexander is going to make an appearance. Uh, How about Ross Dwelly? Fan favorite Ross Dwelly? Still don't
0: know what a Ross Dwelly is. Nope. No idea. Sounds like a nubbin.
1: Um, Yeah, it hasn't been great. Not a great track record. This is like, you know, we're slowly with every passing year venturing more and more toward Madden curse territory.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the the illustrious history of what's happened with the the wallpaper. 2015, Colin Kaepernick injured. 2016, Navarro Bowman released. 2017, Reuben Foster injured, then released. Carlos Hyde was an auxiliary wallpaper released. Uh, Jimmy, no, he was. Uh, yeah, he was. He was just not resigned. I guess he was like going yeah. free agency. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, 2018, injured. Marquise Goodwin, secondary injured. So uh, secondary wallpaper, not a secondary player. So.
1: Uh, also, we had a Solomon Thomas in there who would just like not injured or released, but not good so far. Uh, so. so far, yeah. Basically disappearing act of Solomon yeah. Thomas. Um, so it's, it's, been, it's been really great. Um, yeah, we know how to pick them. Yeah, cause we're, we're going to not pick good players anymore.
0: Yeah, so I, I think there's a couple leaders in the clubhouse so far for the wallpaper. I know Josie's got a couple of ideas and uh, I hope they don't die. Yeah, sorry, Ross. <laughs> Nothing personal, man. Cole Wick, part three. <laughs> revenge Revenge of the Cole. Uh, Alright, so we do have some schedule notes though. The the first thing that we notice about the schedule is that the buy is pretty early. The buy is week four. Uh, does that really matter?
1: No, I don't think so. I think uh, you know, while the 49ers have tended to have like more middle of the season. By weeks recently. The NFL um,
0: threw us a bone. Yeah. It, it, you it, don't have many wins, so here, rest <laughs> appropriately.
1: Um, I think, yeah, most of the, the kind of the studies that I've seen um, when looking at like the effect of bye weeks and players or, or teams that eventually make the playoffs, like there's very little correlation to that. Uh, so I, yeah, I don't think ultimately it is um, anything to like be concerned about that it's early. Um, I think, I don't know. It seems like mentally maybe you would prefer to have a later buy just because you know get that extra week of rest uh, well, you don't have
0: i think the 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 logical theory is just that you you know every game is just a, you know a car wreck on your body and so if you yeah. have a week of rest in the middle it's a little better than having that week of rest at the very very beginning and then have 12 weeks of straight car crashes
1: yeah it's just a nice symmetry to you know put it right in the middle yeah. week nine um but yeah i think you know whatever it's not not a big deal
0: other things from the schedule is that there are several revenge games on the books. Week one, we have the Wrath of Quan Bowl. Uh, this is, of course, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Quan Alexander gets a return. This is the first time since 1997 that San Francisco opens the season with consecutive road games. That season opener, opener was also in Tampa. David Newman, what also happened in that 1997 season opener against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers?
1: I think uh, Jared shred his knee. Correct. Fucking Warren Sapp.
0: Yep. Warren Sapp. Uh, straight turned him. And Never then- forget. And then he returned, remember, the same season. It was like eight, nine weeks later against Denver.
1: Yeah. And then caught a
0: touchdown and then promptly fell on that knee and like busted his kneecap.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It worked out great. Yeah. It was (laughs)
0: was real great. It was was pretty awesome. But, yeah, JRS going to JRS. You also have week 13, the Blackout Bowl, (laughs) a.k.a. My personal favorite. The rematch of the Super Bowl against the Ravens. Uh, That's the Blackout Bowl because both David and I blacked out at different points in that evening. Just like the stadium. Yep. Absolutely. So the blackout bowl, and then week 15, it is the, I hope you learned your lesson bowl against the Falcons. We'll see how much Shanahan runs the ball. Maybe that's why he signed his 13th running back five minutes ago.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, didn't learn those lessons. Uh, the, the fun thing, those are definitely the most fun names that we come up with, but actually like none of the most fun games on the schedule, which I think, you know, in looking at it, the second half is kind of loaded. Like, um... You have a lot of games that should be really entertaining, assuming, you know, of course, uh, as the the same uh, thing that we went last year, where if like Jimmy's not there, then none of this shit matters. But uh, assuming that we have quarterback health, you know, there's a lot of games on the schedule over the second half of the season, especially it should be a lot of uh, fun to watch.
0: Well, there's that Monday night game against the Cleveland Browns because that's just going to be a lot of fun. If yep. the Browns are actually any good, it's going to be fun to see Baker Monday night at Levi Stadium. Should be a really, really fun game, but I think the, the meat of the schedule for me is really in that back half of the schedule. The division games are all backloaded. Five of six division games are week nine or later, and when you look at the middle chunk of the season, there are five games all against NFC opponents with three division games. You've got week eight against the Panthers, nine against the Cardinals, ten against the Seahawks, coming back to the Cardinals in week 11, and then the Packers in week 12, but four of these five games are at home. So I feel like that chunk, that stretch of NFC games is going to be both important for playoff positioning, but you've also got three division games in there. And if the Niners don't come out of that middle stretch, you know, at like 500 or better that, you know, you're probably looking at another, you know, seven, six games, uh, six, one season.
1: Right. I mean, over the the second, I I think you, you know, knowing that, knowing that the the second half is going to be really important with all those NFC games, I think it becomes very important to start fast. And they have, I think, three very winnable games with Tampa Bay Cincinnati Pittsburgh to start off with Um, the other nice thing about having Uh, you know, all of those, you know, more important NFC, a little bit more difficult games in the back half is they have a very home heavy back half of the schedule. So uh, of all those NFC games, you look from week 10 on, right, is all NFC games, but one, which is the Ravens, all of the NFC games there uh, only two of them are on the road. So they get the rest of those at home, uh, which is, is great. You know, if you're going to have to go through all of those, and like you said, a lot of these games, you have teams like the Packers, there, saints, Falcons, all likely to be kind of vying for playoff position, at least from what we can tell uh, at this point in the season. So uh, yeah, I think having those games at home could hopefully be a nice edge to to get them over the hump and into the playoffs potentially.
0: Yeah, this is a really interesting schedule because there, there is a lot to be said about schedule luck you know, that sure. that the you, sometimes you get lucky with your schedule and that helps a lot. It determines whether or not you make the playoffs. And there are only four teams currently on the schedule that made the playoffs in 2018. But of course that could change wildly. If you have a team like the Browns that are good, if the Falcons come back from injury and, and they're much better, I think that all is going to be an interesting schedule gauntlet for the 49ers, but it's not a, it doesn't look at least initially like a super crazy difficult schedule with a difficult you know division um, or a different or a difficult out of conference division uh, right now. So, there's there's opportunity there for the team. They're just going to have to go and not have your quarterback get injured.
1: Right, great starting point. And if we can just get through the season with a healthy quarterback, uh, that would be awesome.
0: All right, so now we get to the draft crush pod. This is going to be kind of the the players that... You wanted us to take a look at that you had draft crushes on. We're going to give you some scouting reports on a few of these players. We're going to focus really on some secondary players because that seemed to be a lot of the players that were coming in. Um, We really asked for the players that you had crushes on. We'll share our draft crushes if they exist, uh, and we'll go there. But first off, off the top, I'm I'm not even mad at some of the suggestions that some of you all sent. I love that you sent me names like Brian Burns or Riley Ridley or Paris Campbell or Chase Vinovich because we covered all those goddamn players. <laughs> Do your homework. You didn't even listen to the damn pod. That yeah. this is what hurts my heart. It's I'm not sad. even mad. I'm just disappointed. I'm a little mad. I'm I'm not yeah. mad. I'm yeah. not mad. Uh I just, you know, total dad mode. Like <laughs> I need to be wearing cargo shorts for this moment. Uh and like New Balance shoes.
1: Like I can forgive there were a couple others that I don't even think you included on this one, which uh were like players or i guess yeah the receivers were the big ones but there were like a couple that was like we just released the episode someone, and then someone asked for debo samuel yeah and so i'm like okay like maybe you just haven't had he time was to literally to that the one. damn cover on the
0: freaking pod episode <laughs> on the website
1: but yeah like brian burns i mean that was like our first draft one you know draft yeah. pod come on now i'm just saying you got to be we along for more from you guys you got to
0: be along for the entire ride y'all the entire ad yeah. is what we need for it yeah. from you. Uh, but, okay, let's get to the players that you suggested that we didn't already cover. Uh, and at the top, probably the most requested player, Nasir Adderley, free safety out of Delaware. And, and overall, I th- and he's projected, I think, uh, he's number one, number one safety on PFF's board. Um, he is very much someone that I think lots of people love, and they're thinking that he might be a target at the top of the second
1: round. David, what did you think about Nasir Adderley when we went through the tape? I think the first thing that stuck out about him positively is uh, his ball skills was fantastic in that area. I think, Uh, If you've likely seen one play of Nasir Adderley's season, it was one that uh, I think Daniel Jeremiah, I remember him tweeting out early. I think he's shown it on NFL Network a few times. Um, But it's basically this play where he gets kind of roasted initially, but you see the make up a a lot of ground on the deep post and then make this kind of incredible diving interception. Uh, And I think you saw plays anytime he was around the ball, like good things happened. He he was very good at uh, not only being able to find the ball and, and be in a position to make plays, but when he had those opportunities, he really took advantage. And so I think ball skills is by far his strongest asset. And I think that's something that when you look at the 49ers secondary, something that they could very much use, you know, they need some playmakers on the back end there that can create some turnovers for this defense. So uh, I think it's very easy to see like why fans and even the team would be excited about adding a player with those type of skills.
0: I think Jim Harbaugh would say that he would rival Michael Crabtree for the greatest hands that have ever graced this earth
1: ever. Can't remember another pair of hands that have ever been so sweet.
0: I can't remember another pair of hands. Full stop. Just everyone ends at the wrists until Nasir Adderley. It's 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 pretty amazing. Uh, but he, he his ball skills are very amazing. Let's get let's talk about that play though because the the play that he made that everyone that everyone seems to kind of glom onto is one where he's covering a deep post and he is able to just kind of accelerate and catch the back half of the football. It, it's an amazing catch, it really is. But what was what jumped out to me more so was the very very beginning of the play where he completely gets beat on a double move. And he has enough recovery speed to catch up because it seems like the wide receiver that he's covering has cement for feet. <laughs> and, and that's, I think, the, the first thing that I, that I noticed with Nasir Adeli is that he's not a bad athlete. He's not a bad athlete at all, but his, his athleticism isn't his strength. He ran a six forty, and his speed, or lack thereof, really showed up when he was trying to like run down a big-ass running back. And when you're talking about a free safety that you need to get from sideline to sideline, speed is kind of a big deal. When you look at the the prototypical safety for this position, you're looking at someone like Earl Thomas who ran a four, four forty, and you start to then get concerned when you're like, okay, if it's not speed that you can rely on to recover when you're not facing inferior athletes, what's going to happen when someone who actually runs a four, four or four, five blows by you.
1: Right. It makes that, that margin for error much smaller, right? Because you don't have the, the makeup speed. I think, yeah, that straight line speed especially is the most concerning part. I think, from a change of direction standpoint, even you saw kind of the in his
0: short area closing when he's able yep. to, when he sees the ball come downhill more, yeah.
1: right? Yeah. I think is, is better but when he has to really be in, in kind of catch up mode and, and play some of these deeper routes or, uh, yeah, you saw like in reference to one of the plays where he's, uh, trying to track down a, a running back from behind there on a, on a play that busts bus, uh, for a big gain. So those situations where his straight line speed, um, is really put to the forefront like those are some of the situations that you really see him struggle and so yeah I think when you start wondering what that looks like translating to the NFL you you're looking at a situation where he so I think he's first of all going to be a free safety candidate for the 49ers right that's the position he's going to play is that kind of deep middle position that they need and it really is going to put his kind of uh, mental aspects like the mental processing, be able to recognize routes and, and all of that side of things. Um, it, it just like high, high importance for him because he doesn't, If he, if he has a misstep, it's going to be much tougher against NFL athletes for him to be able to make up that ground. So I think that's kind of the most concerning uh, for, again, a player like you mentioned that you want to see them really cover ground and be able to take away a lot of space uh, in the middle of the field there. And I think that's just kind of mildly concerning for him.
0: So he's not at the top end of the athletic spectrum, but he overcomes that lack of athleticism with speed to recognize the play. His play recognition and his football smarts are really, really good. He's hardly ever in a bad position. He makes he recognizes plays quickly and he closes very, very quickly because he has an extra step when he identifies what he wants to do and then he goes and does it. And, and so that, to your point, is going to be the way that he wins and the way that he succeeds in the NFL is continuing that play recognition because that's how he masks the fact that he's not the fastest guy in the whole wide world.
1: Right. I think the, the final thing, too, that I think for me stuck out with him is... Now, granted, we don't spend a lot of time talking about the run game and, and kind of rightfully so, but I think when you look at the free safety position, right. And the type of tackles that they typically have to make, uh, in the run game, a lot of times you're talking about open field tackles, right. Where the difference between them making that tackle or not is, is a very sizable chunk of yardage, perhaps even a touchdown, right. So it's a very high leverage situation when they're getting into these tackle situations in the run game, a lot of space generally to cover. And that was an area that he wasn't super great in. So uh, I, I think in the run game, especially, you saw him take some kind of poor angles to the ball uh, when coming downhill from a deeper alignment. Um, and then when he got there, tackling was uh, pretty iffy. You know, I think he had some plays that looked pretty good, but he had far more missed tackles in situations where he really should have been able to bring the ball carrier down. Right? That that I think worry you in potentially giving up some of those big plays. And there's a reason that that you know Alex Gibbs says we don't block. Corners, we block safeties because your safety
0: is your last line of defense, especially in the run game. And when Colbert was playing well his rookie year, a lot of it was because he was taking very good angles to the ball and he was able to make those tackles. Last season, I think Ward had the highest tackling grade of anyone on the defense. Um, And Ward, despite the fact that he's made of glass, was able to tackle and tackle well when he was able to play. So I think that's what you want out of your free safety. And if that's not what he's able to do well, you know, you, you get a bit of a concern. This is not to say that he's a a bad prospect, but I I don't know that I would necessarily be like thumping the table for someone like him. Um, It's just, you know, not the strongest of strong safety classes. I feel like this year.
1: Right. I think that's kind of the big thing, right? Is I think there is a very good argument that he's the best safety in this class, but he's definitely not without concern. Right. And so I think that's where you're looking at, where he's likely to go uh, is also, I think, a range the 49ers are not likely to be picking in unless right. there's some sort of, like, trade-back scenario. But you imagine, you know, he's probably going to go in the latter part of the first round. You know, maybe, I think, obviously, if you're if you're hoping that the 49ers take him, your your hope is that he's there at the top of the second. But I think, in all likelihood, he's probably going to go a little bit earlier than that. So I yeah. think there's a strong chance they're not going to be in position to take him. But... I, yeah, I just don't know that this safety class in general is some is a class that I would be really going out of my way to try to get one of these top guys early on.
0: So there's another safety that y'all asked us to take a look at. And that was Darnell Savage safety out of Maryland. And I think the important thing to note about him is that it took two whole plays for David to make the <laughs> savage pun. Two whole plays. I mean, That's all it took.
1: That play was pretty good, though. It was a great play, it was, but it was come pretty on. fun. We needed
0: to save that in the hit pocket. Nah, for like,
1: man. Uh, you know, sometimes you just got to bring it out when it feels right. And I get it. You know, I second it. play, it felt right. I get it. Uh, so two plays
0: in, uh, he made a ridiculous hit, and I mean, it's good. He has some eye popping hits. He's an 87th percentile uh, safety, and by that, it's just his athleticism score. So he's a better athlete than 87 percent of the safeties in the NFL, and it really showed up on tape. He played more around the line of scrimmage than someone like Nasir Adderley. He's a little different type of safety, and I think if the Niners were to go after someone like Darnell Savage, it's because they're looking for a box safety replacement, maybe an upgrade to Jaquaski tart and not necessarily the free safety that I think most most fans would think the Niners need.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think you, you look at nearly every one of his positive plays. You know they, when, he, when he's making a good play, it's because he is coming downhill on something in front of him. And if he's not aligned already kind of closer to the line of scrimmage, whether that's, you know, more closer to the box as a strong safety or even like over the slot, something like that, um, it is he's maybe starting deeper, but rotating down right after the snap and and kind of already working downhill. And and that's when he has really been at his best. And so you see the athleticism really pop there. I think he's a very strong tackler, Uh, you know, unlike Adderley, like he he gets to these ball carriers and they're going down. It's really uh,
0: fun to watch him against any running back that runs a flare out or a little dump off route. If he gets it once he starts tracking that that running back, it's just about lights out.
1: All of those wide perimeter plays, right? You look at it screens of the outside, you look at all the jet sweep stuff, you know, some of the bubbles that you're getting uh, a lot in college, like any of that stuff, if if it's to his side of the field, I mean he is having an impact on that play. And he's, he's getting there in a hurry. He's, I think that's the other thing on those plays that are developing in front of him. Really good play recognition. Like he, he's making a a decision almost instantly and then it doesn't take him any time at all to be able to react to that and get to the ball. So I think there's a lot of exciting things about him, uh, you know, around the line of scrimmage. And I think, yeah, he would absolutely be a strong safety candidate there and that's going to be his best fit. I think at the NFL level, um, I wonder a little bit how much... I mean, I, I certainly am not going to complain at all if, if they're looking to upgrade coverage in any manner, right? I think that's the biggest thing that they need to address. And so going after a player that they think could help there, I think, is is going to be very good. I do wonder a little bit about taking, you know, that particular player, you know... Yeah. And again, I think he's he might go in a similar range to Adderley where it's going to be like that late first and it's going to be difficult for them to get in position to take him. Um, but I think, yeah, ultimately, like, he's a very exciting player. I think... Uh, you know, what he could do in the box is a lot of fun. I think the, the stuff when he, we starts looking deeper, right? That's a little bit, if you don't want him covering some of those deep zones or really having to track guys deep in coverage, but, uh, basically everything else underneath kind of in that, you know, intermediate and, and underneath, um, window. He's he's very, very good.
0: And one of his worst games was against Michigan, and it was because he bit on a lot of play action near the line of scrimmage. He allowed a lot of players to get behind him. Same kind of thing. It, once he's in charge of covering those kind of deep zones, he gets a little lost in the middle. Um, and, and so I think if he stays in his comfort zone, which is in the box and, and coming downhill to hit Running backs um, or anything underneath, really, um, even little wide receivers. I think. Yeah, I was get. gonna
1: say. I mean, you would see him track well on, uh, you know, like a lot of like shallow crossing routes and stuff like that. that you're Mesh getting. would be something um, he blow up. Yeah, so I mean, you see the speed come out. Like it's a very big difference between Adderley, right, who's like a four six guy, and, oh, uh, and it was Savage, and who was like a four three something. Guy, it was so. it was
0: night and day. the, the first play that we ran because we watched uh, we watched Savage immediately after Adderley. And the first player, like, oh, there, there is a market difference yeah. here. It is noticeable. And
1: they're, like, a very similar size, too. Yeah. So, like, similar weight, similar height at the combine. Um, and so, yes, it, it's very stark seeing the difference between them from an athleticism perspective and how much ground they can cover. So, I think, yeah, Savage is probably the guy. I think I feel better about him coming in and being able to be really effective in that role, even if that role might be a little less important overall. um, I I would feel stronger about that evaluation and his ability to come in and and really upgrade that spot than I would at Adderley at this time. Yeah,
0: it it would be a bit of a future pick because if you think of what he would replace, ultimately he would replace Shekowsky Tart. Yeah. And unless for some reason the team plays him as the deep third safety, which I don't think is the best role for him, although I think he can do it. Uh, I think he would eventually allow the team to just say, Tart, you've been great, but off you go. Uh, and, and he would, I think, slot into that role. And um,
1: and yeah. I think it's important to say too that like Tart is by no means good enough to prevent that sort of selection, right? Like, exactly. Uh, He's not a sure thing. There's no guarantee that if if they were to end up with uh, with Savage that he wouldn't win that starting job from Tart immediately, yep. right? So I think that's very much uh, on the table. And and if, again, I think, unfortunately, it's just kind of unlikely that they end up with him based on where it seems he's likely to go. But there's a situation, you know, there where if, uh, say, more cornerbacks than we expect go in the first round or something like that, and you see these safeties who, again, aren't aren't necessarily the, the best safety prospect. There's no Derwin James in this class or anything close to that. So if you see those guys start to slide a little bit and really they're at a spot at the top of the second where they want to take a coverage player, all the corners have kind of gone before they've had a chance. And, and so now you're looking at these two players there. I think looking at Savage in that role like is something that they absolutely should do.
0: All right, third player in the group that y'all asked us to take a look at was someone who is a potential candidate for the all-name team, and that's going to be cornerback out of Temple, one Mr. Rock Yasin. Love the name. Great really name. Really do. Great name. Uh, he's a, he was a 58th percentile athlete. Uh, and so uh, immediately that, that's the first thing that we look at because that's one of the things that the Niners look at. They look at the corners, especially when it comes to corners, their athleticism score, because they value speed and they value that spark number, the overall, the overall athleticism being one of the key things that all of the cornerbacks that the 49ers have acquired after Lynch and Shanahan have taken over all share. Um, and I saw his athleticism score and I was like, I mean, okay, whatever. Not super pumped to look at this guy. Uh, and then I rolled the tape, and honestly, it's easy to project him to the Niners because he does a lot on film of what the ask, of what the 49ers ask. Um, he plays that boundary corner fairly well. Um, he's able to defend that deep third, um, and he plays a lot up on the line of scrimmage, and he has the feet to carry vertical routes. Um, I came away relatively impressed. Um, I, I don't like him necessarily as much as some of the other people we'll talk about, but I don't think he's a bad corner at all. I can see why people right. like him.
1: Yeah, I think I think with him, it, it really depends where you're talking about taking him. Like, I think, uh, you know, I've seen some people as high on him as, as really wanting him to go in the first round, and that would be a little rich for me. Um, but I think when you start looking at, uh, you know... I, even thirty six, honestly, is probably a little early. Depending yeah. on, and, and again, this all depends. Corners a lot like receivers are these different flavors that teams are gonna gonna value certain things more than others, and, and so it's it becomes a little difficult to project like the order that they're going to go in because of that. Um, but I think, yeah, if, if things fall relative how we expect them to. Um, I wouldn't necessarily love that at 36 but I think if he's no, a, if either. he's there in the 3rd round then I think that becomes something that's a little bit more exciting because yeah, like you mentioned, you see you get to see him do a lot of things that he's going to be asked to do for the 49ers and that's getting up at the line of scrimmage. You know, you see him playing both man coverage and a lot of cover 3 and so there's uh you know just some things that are very easy to say like okay, he's good at those. These are things that he's going to have to do at the NFL in the scheme and, and and so you like to see that translation. It's it's very easy to make that connection. Um I, I just don't know. There's just not there's just not enough high end plays there that gets me really excited. So I think he's yeah, just kind of like that. overall, like a really solid player, generally in pretty good position. I get that. Doesn't make a ton of uh, plays on the ball necessarily. Um, you know. Unless you're
0: Tyree Jackson, in which case he's sure. your na- he's your nightmare.
1: Um Buffalo
0: yeah. quarterback Tyree Jackson. But who the by same the way time, not good at football.
1: Not good. Can't throw footballs accurately, which is important. Um <laughs> sorry, I'm just thinking it was so bad. It, he this guy just like
0: throws it at receiver's feet on the reg it was terrible
1: yeah i mean there's like one of the first plays that we watched in that game is like target. there so they're targeting rocky sin on like a vertical route on the sideline single receiver side and you know Sin's kind of in trail a little bit so you're expecting kind of a deep ball over the shoulder and dude like fires this like one hops like six yards short of him it's like what the fuck is happening how are you even a prospect right now but it's cool though raiders about to um, draft tyree jackson first overall (laughs) (laughs) strong arm real strong arm though because that that's the biggest thing that matters um you said though again i think i think kind of safe player um so not not a lot of uh again really high-end plays that excite you that make you want to take him a little bit earlier doesn't have the high-end athleticism either that that really shows that he might be capable more there but he doesn't get beat badly a lot like he's generally in pretty good position like uh and so i think yeah he's a relatively safe pick that, you know, middle rounds make sense because you you see that he can do some similar things to what he would have to do for the 49ers.
0: If the Niners go with a wide receiver in the second round and then they look for a corner in the third, I think he could be an interesting addition because he would be a different kind of player than the team has added in the third round the last couple of years. In the third round, you know, 2 years ago they had uh, Akella Witherspoon and last year of course they had Tavares Moore. Both were high athleticism players that maybe needed a bit of seasoning. Brock I feel like would be the opposite. I feel like he would have a little bit more technique and a little bit more seasoning in terms of the ability to play the position, but his athleticism would not be high. And and so I think that he would be a a decent target if the Niners do go with a a wide receiver in that second round, and it would be a different kind of uh, cornerback to compete with the group of super athletic corners that they have there already. I, I could absolutely see that happening, and I wouldn't be mad at that at all.
1: Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. Though, gotta say, I I am uh, much more excited about the next cornerback on our list here, who and is a fantastic athlete. Frankly,
0: I am too. And that corner is Sean Bunting, cornerback from Central Michigan. He absolutely and a couple of people that tweeted him at us were like, "Oh, you're gonna love him," especially because when you see his athleticism score, I mean, he topped the charts. He was a 94th percentile athlete, 41 inch vertical. Give me guys who jump, and he's he's six two. So he's 6'2". Not quite that th- He's a- He's just over six foot. That's, like I said, 6'2". Yeah. Listed in the media guide <laughs> with his cleats on and a hat. Central Michigan says he's 6'2". So yeah, yeah, that's right. That's, yeah. you know, it, it, it definitely works that way. <laughs> uh, but he had a 4440, um, and his speed absolutely shows up on tape. He yeah. had... What's funny is he had a very similar interception to the interception that um, Nasir Adderley had, that deep interception, but man... It was because he flat out beat the wide receiver to the ball on a deep post because he just ran right the hell by him. Yeah, it was um,
1: without the getting roasted at the beginning part and having yeah. to make up ground. Like you really see, saw him, like he kind of gets in in trail a little bit at first. Once the guy breaks to the post, you you see that speed where he gets immediately he on gear. top of the route. Another yeah. gear, he runs um, the route
0: for him, yep. and that's something that you see Bunting do several times on tape is literally run the route with the receiver. Or run the route for the receiver, and then he has the speed to just get in a better position for the ball. Um, he is of all the players that that were like, "Hey, this is my draft crush. Go, go, watch this player." He's probably the closest to rising the charts into maybe draft crush status for me.
1: Yeah, I, I yeah, I think that that makes sense. I think the thing that I really like about him. So you have that that speed, right? That he's shown the ability to make up ground if he needs to. Um, And that's really good, not only because the 49ers play with their corners up, you know, kind of in a press look a lot up at the line of scrimmage. And that was something that he already did a lot in college. So you saw him play a lot of press man or even press bail into zone stuff, you know, things that again, he's going to have to do if he were to get drafted for the 49ers. And what you like about that is, you know, yes, you can have a guy like Richard Sherman who doesn't have that great top end speed, uh, but he has to be so technically great. Right, and that's what Sherman has kind of made his is living on throughout his NFL career. Is he rarely gets beat at the line of scrimmage, so he doesn't have to make up ground a lot. Right, in reality, most guys are going to lose at the line of scrimmage sometimes, and and that's when you really want to be able to ha- fall back on that four forward speed to be able to make up ground against you know these NFL receivers who are running those same times on the outside. So you you like to see that from him, but he also is I think very good at the line of scrimmage. Didn't get beat a ton. Is very physical with the line of scrimmage, which is really good. That play against Cody White, uh, he's a wide receiver for Michigan State. He's 6'3".
0: At, he's listed 6'3", So he's probably like 5'11", 190. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but he's listed at 6'3", 2'10". He actually looks that big. Um, and Sean Bunting just absolutely tosses him completely tosses him
1: yeah you you see if he gets his hands on you like right at the line of scrimmage on that initial press like he he ends the play right he is in control of that receiver at that point and yeah that was like maybe the best example that we saw where you know the guy's trying to run a short little curl route here and just can't even get into the route can't even turn around for the ball um, and, and so just completely takes him away there but you saw him be again physical uh, with guys and even if he just kind of pushes him wide a little bit, it's still disrupting the timing of the play, and then you see him the other thing that we really like about him is I think especially compared to somebody like Rocky sin is the ball skills are a little bit better there uh far more interceptions, far more forced in completions, you know making plays on the ball uh to really f- prevent those completions so uh I think that was something where yeah he's he is playing at a smaller school, but everything that you see on tape and you know again athleticism wise makes you feel real good about like his ability to translate to the, to the 49ers scheme, especially
0: Sean Bunting had 11 picks and 29 forced incompletions in central Michigan last year. And and I think that is that, that speaks to his ability to stay very, very close to the wide receiver. He's in a position to make a play on the ball. Um, And so that means that overall he's going to be able to have those forced incompletions, which I mean, the Niners need someone who is, Close to the damn wide receiver in coverage because yeah. um, they've not
1: been able to, do and that's and so and just to clarify too those oh. those numbers are over Curry. his yeah. uh le- the last three seasons at least. But he's a guy like that's even more impressive. So you don't see a lot of uh, corners get high interception numbers generally anyway. But he also wasn't a guy that was targeted very heavily. So even just this last season, only saw thirty seven targets, only gave up seventeen receptions all year. So he again isn't getting thrown at a lot. When he does, he's generally making good plays and enforcing some incompletions and doing good things for his defense.
0: Yeah, he's a, he's definitely a fast riser in my book. He's someone that wasn't super on my radar. And and we actually added him because you were taking a look at some other players and you were like, hey, take a look at this guy. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, and and so we decided to watch a bit more tape on him and really, really like Sean Bunting out of Central Michigan. Um, I think... I don't know. I, I I have less of a feel of where players will go. You know, like yeah. I have because you know I just kind of know which players I like, which players I don't like. And I mean, outside of the top of the draft, if he's there in the third round, um, which I don't know that he necessarily will be, but right. if he's there in the third round and you can get a wide receiver in the second round and maybe you end up with someone like Nick Bosa in the first and Sean Munting in the third, holy hell! I feel like that's one solid one through three pick right there.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's essentially... So the reason this guy even popped up on my radar initially was we have, over the course of this week, been doing an internal seven-round mock draft at PFF, and that was who I ended up with in the third round because basically, which should be you know no surprise with how we view coverage players at PFF, a lot of those guys went early. So a lot more corners than I think will probably realistically go in the first round yeah. went so... You know, I, I I couldn't get any trade offers at two for Bosa, so I took him there. Ended up with uh, a receiver, you know, at the top of the second. Yeah, and, and Andy as. And then you
0: were considering a kicker in the third round,
1: right? Yeah, uh, they're just you, you know, got to get a punter. no generational kickers really in this class. So you know, deep side there, but. You know, so looking at, you know, corner much later than I would ideally have liked to look at him. And, and this was kind of one of the guys that was the, the one of the top players available at that point. and uh you know, watched a little bit of his game and started looking at some of the data on him and stuff. And so I think, yeah, he's got a real strong, Body uh, you know, for a player that can go that will likely go day two, I think at least. um checks a lot of those boxes. I think the small school thing is probably what drives him down a little bit. But again, what we, things that we like to see and feel confident in prospects, right. Is good athleticism, good production, good tape, you know, tape and traits. And and that's kind of uh, the, the trifecta that we're looking for, for players that we feel most strongly about. And I think he checks a lot of those boxes. The only real concern is that he did it against some lower competition, you know, playing at central Michigan. So it's not necessarily at a power five school, but, nonetheless I think at this point after watching him more in depth I would be okay like if he was the pick at the top of the second I I would be very comfortable with that I
0: I would too honestly and and for me it's a matter of do you dominate inferior competition if you're at a smaller school do you just absolutely dunk on these fools and that's that's what he did I mean he's literally running double moves with a receiver on top of their route and and that takes a lot of play recognition athleticism uh, footwork technique uh, in order to make that happen. And, and so I, I absolutely agree. I think he could easily be the pick at the top of the second. If he slips somehow magically to the third and the Niners get him there, all, all the better. But uh, the last player that we had uh, tweeted at us to take a look at from our loyal listeners uh, on the draft crush parade is Blake Cashman, linebacker, in Minnesota. I may have had to bribe David with a free Roomba to actually watch a <laughs> linebacker. Um so you know I I I sacrificed things for this pod um and and one of them is Ollie the Roomba. Uh and so he's now going to be at David's here to four uh because he uh, that's the only yeah. way I could get him to watch a linebacker.
1: Contractually obligated. I can only talk Correct. about one linebacker <laughs> in uh in pre-draft podcast. Uh so I I think yeah the 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 about linebackers. I need, I need, I need linebackers. more pep in your voice, David. I need more pep in the voice. I think about linebackers, you see. Um <laughs> I wouldn't be very happy if they took a linebacker, you know, anytime where we would be talking about this guy going, you know, I think there's just so many more pressing needs. I think it would have been maybe a different conversation if they would have went really hard after coverage players in free agency. Um, You know, if they, they had made a push for Earl Thomas and got him and they'd signed it, you know, took a chance on another cornerback in in addition uh, to Verrett and, and, you know, really put a lot of resources there then. Okay. And no Quan Alexander signing because of that thing. All right, now day two, you know, we we might need to look at linebacker here and, and this guy would make a lot of sense, but ultimately I I would be very upset if they're looking anywhere but coverage or receiver on day two. That said, if they are going to take a linebacker, he's probably their best bet. He's really um, good. He, I really I really yeah. enjoyed watching
0: him, despite the fact that he's got arms shorter than toothpicks. Um, but <laughs> T Rex th- arms. Didn't seem to matter. Didn't seem to matter. I mean, we've had another, yeah. you know, T Rex linebacker uh, for the 49ers for all of one season. Before... Hopefully, this one doesn't retire. Yeah, exactly. But Blake Cashman, he was a very, very smart linebacker, plays his leverage on blocks really well, consistently in the right spot, especially on runs to the outside. Very good in the run game, strong tackler. He had 14 missed tackles on the year. He's good for about one missed tackle every game. Um, and it's, it's pretty egregious, but it's just one. Other than that, he's he's a pretty short tackler, um, and it's because he's in the right spot consistently. Um, there was a, a play on third and two where he kind of sifts through the line and absolutely buries a running back. It wasn't as uh, impressive as the Patrick Willis Ole Miss kind of lift him up and drive him. Sure. But the, the, the running back's legs do hit the sky and flail a bit before his back hits well, the ground. Well, a little
1: bit. <laughs> uh, I think the two things for me, right, if I'm looking at any linebacker, two things immediately that I need to see to have any interest at all is are they an athlete and can they cover? And I think he checks both those boxes. So I think uh, from a linebacker or from an athleticism perspective, uh, excuse me, he was actually tested as one of the better linebackers in this entire class. So uh, his spark score was, let me find it 90 percentile. So uh, again, very, very good Um, up there with some of the top prospects that are in this, uh, this class at linebacker, which are the two Devins, of course, Devin Bush, Devin white Um, athleticism on par with those players. Um, and then from a coverage standpoint was one of our highest graded coverage, uh, linebackers over the past three years. So just really, really well-rounded. I think the, the other kind of bonus that you get from him. So, you know, again, looking at impact in the passing game coverage is most important, but the other thing that you can get from your linebackers, of course, is rushing the passer and being good on blitzes. And he was actually very strong there. I mean, uh, in the games that we watch and the clips that we watch, like running backs, trying to block him coming on a blitz was just completely worthless. Like it was just, uh, it wasn't happening. Like he was getting by those guys affecting the quarterback. And so it had a really strong pass rush grade for a linebacker there. So I think, yeah, from an athleticism perspective, ability to affect the pass game, all things that you'd like to see from that position. Uh, and so, yeah, if they did again, it wouldn't be my preferred route on day two, but if you're looking at a, a linebacker, and really wanting to add a player at that time. Like he's probably your best option because both of the top two players are going to be gone. Well, before way too them. early. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right. So give me your draft crush. If you have one so far this year,
1: dude, it's tough. Uh, it I was, is, this,
0: this year has been tougher than most. I feel like we've had some, the last couple of years and, and some of them helped. And I we've even drafted a couple of, of our draft crushes in the yeah. past. Um, but I, I don't know that I have a player that like calls my name this year. Like it has in, in previous years.
1: I think a lot of it has to do with this draft class um, in that there's not a lot of players that I feel like are really, really great at the top. So, you know, as much as again, we really like Bosa think he's probably, you know, and in, in when he's
0: the closest to my draft crush only because he's in that nexus of the Niners could get him. And I've been talking about him for so long that I'm super excited about him.
1: Yeah. And he's also like, I mean, to be fair, he's a very good prospect. Like he's not a, a good prospect for this draft. He is a, player that would go in the top few picks of basically any draft that he would have entered. Right. So he's the Saquon um,
0: Barkley of pass rushers, oh, AKA positions that matter. God,
1: um, <laughs> completely mine gone. This is, I'm uh, going to,
0: the way that I throw David off of his train of thought just is throwing I'm mentioning running back. kickers, punters and running back. I'm
1: sorry. I am contractually obligated to not talk about running back. So these are David's
0: <laughs> kryptonite, actual kryptonite.
1: um, but yeah, I think looking beyond those players, so I think, you know, Bosa, Quinnen at the top are really the the top two players for me clearly in this class. Um, and then after that, you just have a lot of like really pretty good players, flavors? right? Yeah. yeah. And and I don't think there's anyone that uh, has really stood out to me. I think I usually feel like for a draft crush, it's got to be a player, you know, it can't be like a high first rounder, right? yeah. everybody yeah, yeah. loves, like last year, you know, even though I probably would have said it was Derwin James, like... Everybody loved Derwin James, right? Yeah. You're not like going well, out on an that's island not, there. That's not true. Not everyone not loved enough. Derwin James. I guess 15 teams ahead of him didn't Accurate. love Der- Derwin James. The so. Tampa
0: Bay Buccaneers should have loved <laughs> Derwin James a bit more.
1: Love that nose tackle, though. What up? Oh, man. Um, But I think, so I think bunting is, is close, right? I think he, he checks a lot of the boxes that That, I like to see. That would be mine.
0: That would be mine because he's going to be kind of a a day two mid round pick in in that world, in that area. He tested well athletically. His production was super great. He plays a position of value. One of the 49ers need that where they could definitely need an upgrade. And, And so that for me is, and this is like what the, this is the... No, it's 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 two out of three years that we've had a corner as, as potentially the draft crush. Yeah. Um, because last year, um, we had, like, a, a side of foyer, Alua Khan, as a potential draft crush. Right. Uh, and then a couple of other people, but um, but the yeah. The
1: other name that I will say uh, that, that is kind of growing on me, and this is actually, I think, a little bit of a change even since we talked about receivers on the last pod, right, uh, is Andy Isabella. Like guy that I like then but just kind of the more that I think about it and and the more that I think about how well he would fit in this offense and and how well he would do with Shanahan kind of calling the shots here and and uh, I just think that he has things that are very very valuable for receivers in the NFL right now which is he has legit deep downfield speed and then he's also a really good route runner and can separate that way too. So I think those two things. Uh, while he's certainly not a player that that has no flaws, um, you know, if you're looking at a, a receiver there at the top of the second round, um, one that just would fit so well with this offense, and I think would produce at a really high level, uh, and that Shanahan would be able to get the most out of. So he's he's getting up there as well. I, I just like again, more I think about it, the more I like how he fits
0: yeah I think I'm going to go ahead and put my my flag in the ground on Sean Bunting. I think I think that's my dude this year. Uh, last year we were big Harold Landry fans, and that turned out okay. Um, no, it didn't. Um,
1: I mean, he was fine. Oh us. no,
0: he's totally fine. Yeah. Um, oh,
1: I mean, didn't turn out well for us. Yeah, yeah yes. accurate. yeah, accurate.
0: Um, but so I think Sean Bunting's my dude. I think that's the guy that uh, that I'm gonna go, that I'm going to go ahead and plant my flag down on. but so yeah. uh, let's get to the 49ers preferred draft strategy, but before we do, let's take a quick second to hear from our sponsors as David pours his beer. All right. So the preferred 49ers draft strategy, you've been with us on this ride. If you tweeted at us that we should look at AJ Brown or Debo Samuel, (laughs) you haven't been, but we welcome you to this episode. First one of the draft. It's been great. Uh, Preferred 49ers draft strategy. I think if you've been listening to us the last uh, now four episodes, you know that the preferred option at this point is to trade down. If you can get a hall of picks because there is, there's a lot of value in the middle of the first round. And getting additional first-round assets is going to be absolutely amazing for this team if they can make that happen. We've identified an edge rusher. If you're sold on an edge rusher in the first round, someone like Brian Burns in that middle area is going to be a fantastic target. But if you think that coverage is what the Niners need... There's going to be a lot of corners in that area. DeAndre Baker, Greedy Williams, depending on your flavor and what you like, Byron Murphy. These are players that can significantly help the 49ers at a position of need. And if you can double up on those players in the first round by trading down, that is absolutely the first choice, even though Nick Bosa is a phenomenal player.
1: Absolutely, I think the the more and again going through that exercise of doing the mock draft this week, you know, with uh, other people from PFF, it, it really made me realize like how much when I was sitting there waiting for pick thirty six, like how much I hated being in that position, right? And it's like again, you'd like to get Bosa, and if that's the the position you end up being in, and you you get that player, like you're going to be happy with that. But I just think there is a significant difference in what this draft could potentially do for them from staying at two and taking him and being able to move down and potentially accumulate multiple picks, either in the latter part of the first round or on day two. I just think that's such a rich area for this draft. You know, you look at uh wide receiver is, is going to be, that's like where I think a lot of uh, of the best players are going to be going from this class or in that range. I think there's uh, some good cornerback options that are there. Like even when you're looking at it, at, at some other positions that we don't maybe value as high, like, that's the range where a lot of these guys are going to be going. Uh, and again, I don't think there's a lot of separation once you kind of move from that top tier. So that to me is by far would be the biggest win that they could have is being able to trade out of two, accumulate a bunch of picks, and, and really look at it hitting a handful of players in that kind of late first round through end of third round uh, frame. But
0: well, let's say that trade down is not an option. And Murray is indeed the first pick. Then I think the second overall pick is Nick Bosa, and it's it's pretty easy for me.
1: Yeah, I think uh, if Bosa's there, they say it too, can't trade down 100% has to be the player.
0: Yeah, and and so then you go into the other alternative uh, outcomes, and if Bosa goes first for whatever reason, and this whole Murray thing is a smokescreen, which is entirely possible. I mean, you still don't know what's going to happen in the draft, and you can't trade down for whatever reason, then at that point you take and Williams. And I think that would he's still a phenomenal player, and I think he is one of the two best players in this draft and it's you know I think the question everyone asked, and we answered it when we talked about Quinn Williams as a prospect but then what do you do with DeForest Buckner and it's like nothing
1: you play them both man yeah. and you let them fucking go to town like that's the thing is is that is again I think like you mentioned a, a very much a realistic scenario that could play out right if if the Cardinals don't go uh with quarterback first they take Bosa really your options at that point, if you're not trading down are between Quinn and Williams and Josh Allen. And while I think, you know, edge is a, a more valuable position and is one that they need a little bit more, obviously, uh, Quinnen is a much better prospect to me. I just think like, again, him and Bosa are the two safest players, as safe as you can get in NFL draft world, um, in this entire draft. And so I think, you you take him and, you know, you pair him with Buckner and you have a fantastic interior duo there that can play together despite what a lot of people are wanting to say. Like, those guys just play them alongside each other. It's going to be fine.
0: Seven out of ten of your snaps are going to be in nickel anyway. So you're going to yep. have two interior players. And I think what the the hidden value of Quinnen is quite simply that now you don't have to give DeForest Buckner $18 million a year. And, and, and if you're renegotiating a contract with him right now, and you draft Quinn Williams, if I'm the 49ers, those contract talks stop.
1: I mean, that's the thing. As much as we love Buckner and think he is a, a fantastic player. He's not like, Aaron Donald. Right. I think that's the thing that you really have to to point out is he's very good, but he's not on that like upper tier of players. You know, he's not Fletcher. I, I had a, a few people ask me Fletcher like, Cox. how does he compare to Fletcher Cox? Like he's not that dominant, right? So he's he's very good, but he's not at that level. And so I think, again, they're in a position now where they're paying a quarterback. And, you know, if if you have an opportunity to get that yeah, same production... It's not Russell for, Wilson money, simmer down. And so you're, you know, still having to make these decisions, though, about what you're going to pay at other positions. And if you can get uh, a player like Quinnen that's going to give you likely... Similar, if not even better, production than you're gonna get from Buckner for a fraction of the cost, and you can then use that money elsewhere, you know, to pick up some free agents that you like. Like gotta
0: pay a fullback somehow, man.
1: Dear God. Kickers. Uh, we got franchise need to, kickers. Yeah, you here. gotta franchise some kickers here. We gotta take some punters, like shit. You gotta all pay those specialists. That money. Um, I'm gonna go try out for long snapper. <laughs> like it's gonna be great. Um, but yeah, I think that's something you have to seriously consider from a team building standpoint. So uh but that's that's their option, right? If Bosa's gone, I think that's what you're you're looking at is either Quinnen or Josh Allen if you're staying there. Um obviously, even more so we'd love to down trade Josh down. Allen. You know, Nick um, Bosa. No, if if Bosa's gone. Oh. If Bosa's gone, I mean, that's really the only choice you're yeah, making if but, you're saying it too. But I don't love taking Allen there. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I, I would much prefer Williams over Allen yeah. at that point. Yeah. So if that's going to be what happens at the top of the draft, then once you get into the second, third, and fourth rounds, that's where you get into some combination of wide receiver, cornerback, and free safety. You've got to upgrade coverage, and you've got to upgrade your perimeter players. This is where the Niners have the most problems and lack the most talent. Um, it's just really on the perimeter. And so I think if you're looking at wide receivers and it seems like the team is at the second round pick, you're looking at our preferred wide receiver targets, A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel, Nikhil Harry, and Andy Isabella. I think any one of those players would be a great addition for the 49ers. But I know, David, you love A.J. Brown, uh, and I'm kind of partial to Debo Samuel, but I still think Nikhil Harry would be a great prospect. And if for some reason Andy Isabella slips and the Niners think that he's their guy, I would love for him to be a part of the team, too.
1: Definitely. I, I wouldn't be upset with any of those options. Again, I think they, um, you know, all to a degree, bring a little bit something different to the table, uh, but it's all things that they could use. And, and I think all things, they, they show, again, enough skills on tape there that even though this is a, a position that's very difficult to project, I think you, you would feel good about any one of those players at that spot.
0: And then if you're looking at cornerbacks, our preferred cornerback targets are going to be David Long, Sean Bunting, Justin Lane, and Rock Yossin. He made the list
1: list he's he's comfortably lower than those other three he is
0: he's he's a he's a step below i think the other three but i think if you end up going with someone like let's say the niners are able to get aj brown i think actually aj brown's gonna go somewhere in the first round i do too uh and and so if you're looking then at like debo Nikhil and maybe andy isabella and, and you're able to get one of those at the top of the second round now you're getting into the third round long bunting and lane might all be gone and at that point, then Rak I if you're looking at a haul of uh, the Niners can't trade down, and you're looking at Bosa, someone between uh, Harry Samuel, and then Rock Yassin in the third, I feel like that's a pretty good one, two, three punch for the 49ers going into, uh, you know, kind of day
1: three. Not bad. I, I think, yeah, I. I- I just wouldn't feel great if it took to round three for them to get, to get a, a coverage corner. player. I know. Um, you know, that's, I think definitely not the, the ideal scenario for them. I, I, um, I,
0: I agree with you, but I do think that the 49ers value the front seven a bit more than they value playing, paying a premium for um
1: uh, draft capital at corner.
0: I feel like they think they can a, a address corner in the third round.
1: Um, so, so I, I will throw one other name that we didn't get a chance to watch. Um, as far as cornerbacks go, uh, Isaiah Johnson from Houston, I think is a player that fits their mold, um, that likely isn't going to go, you know, in the, the first high. two rounds. So I think third or fourth round makes a little bit more sense from him. Um, but he's almost six two. Uh, 94th percentile spark player, 33. One of the only players with, with actually long arms that they like at that position. So 33 inch arms there.
0: He's got double cashman's is what you're saying.
1: Ran a four, four, really good change of direction skills. Uh, you know, just uh, again, top end athlete. And the thing with him and why he will probably go a bit lower is he's a relatively new person to the position. So he's only oh, been so playing. it sounds right up the 49ers alley. Exactly. So he's only been playing corner for two years. Um, and, and so he is a bit more of a developmental guy, somebody that needs some seasoning and some polish. Uh, but again, if you're talking, if he's there fourth round or something like that, and you're still wanting to add coverage players, like he's probably someone that's on their radar. He I'm going to send the
0: Niners a box of Zatarain's because they need to add seasoning to a lot of their damn corners. <laughs> Like, that's just, come on, guys. (laughs) Sure. Uh, But then when we get to free safety, you're looking, and we haven't covered a lot of these players, but if we're going to create a list, we're looking at players like Darnell Savage, who, if the Niners get a box safety, he's probably the box safety to go after. Taylor Rapp, Amani Hooker, Marvell Tell, which sounds a bit like Marvolo Riddle, um, which, you know, and Harry Potter.
1: I got to say, like, so he's another one. He played more safety at USC. I think some teams uh, are going to see him as a corner because he's a little bit on the thinner side and, and doesn't has kind of more a slighter frame, I think he would 100% be a, a, a player that the 49ers would look to move to corner. And I'm just, uh, I'm just not about that right I'm now. I'm
0: tired of moving players to positions. Yep. Can we just draft a player that does something well in college and then have him continue to do that thing? Well, in the pros, please, I would please. like that. I would like that a lot. But so if you're looking for the fully endorsed strategy from the better rivals pod for this year's draft, it's trade down, if not trade down, then Bosa or Quinnen Williams. Once you get to the second, third, and fourth rounds, you get some combo of wide receiver, cornerback, and free safety. A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel, Nikhil Harry, David Long, Sean Bunting, Justin Lane, Darnell Savage, Taylor Rapp. How many names can you remember all at once?
1: Just here's the thing. Second round on, you're, you're getting a wide receiver somewhere in there and you're loading up on goddamn coverage players. That's what they need.
0: Once you get to the fifth-plus rounds, you're looking to like upside and special teams and that's it. And that's why we're not going to spend too much time on it. Yeah,
1: for sure. I mean, I think, uh, the only thing I guess we, that we've said in the past, right. Is once you especially get to those later rounds, you're either, you're, you're missing something, right. Usually something athleticism,
0: you're missing production or you're missing some kind of trait.
1: So rather than go after players that are just kind of okay at all of them, Take a chance on the freak athlete that never put it together in college. Like or Foyer Luicon, which ex- is what the Falcons did. Yep. Or take a chance on somebody who was a terrible athlete, but despite that was able to produce at a really high level in college. Like, just see if he can go and do that again, right? And And I think those are the players that you're looking to take a chance on. Later on in the draft, Um, again, we don't have a lot of thoughts on those. I mean, trying to watch 200 players before the draft, um, once they have 49ers actually select them, we'll have more thoughts. That's
0: exactly right. So that's a good segue into both the end of this episode and what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks because what we'll do is we will have a reaction pod on Thursday night for the actual round one pick and or hopefully picks plural. Uh, And so we will actually give a more fully detailed scouting breakdown of each one of the players that are officially 49ers. And so we'll talk about things like where they win, areas of concern, how they project, uh, and add more actual scouting rigor around the profiles that we give you. Uh, And then I think we're actually going to be able to do a day two reaction as well for Friday. Um, Day three, we will not have a day recap. Uh, We've got some Things slash wife commitments uh, for watching as much football as we do. Uh, And so we won't be able to do that on day three. However, uh, we will basically uh, go dark until the draft at this point. Um, And and so the next episode that you'll hear is going to be an actual round one breakdown of what's happened for the 49ers and the player that they've actually picked. So uh,
1: Excited, man. It's it's always good to get to that point where you're actually going to talk about things that are actually happening instead of just trying to project. Project, everything. I know.
0: I know we're, we're much more comfortable in the world of things that are as opposed to things that may be. Yeah. Um, so, cool. So that about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you?
1: That will be at PFF underscore David. Real
0: quick, what's the number one thing you want to happen on the next Game of Thrones? Go.
1: Oh, man. Uh, caught me off guard here. Number one thing. I, I want Winterfell Backstory. I think Winterfell is very important, uh, you know, as a location in this story, and has a lot of potential meaning to dive into. I don't think they have the opportunity with the number of episodes they have left to get to nearly all of it. But give me, give me something there. I need some, I need some better stuff from Bran beyond just staring at people strangely. Creepy ass. Uh, I need, I need some good backstory about Winterfell, about the Crips. Give me, give me some good stuff there.
0: I really want. Danny to start to interrogate the... Because no- I think she'll find out that she's not the true heir and mm-hmm. that John is Aegon. And I think... Oh, I guess we should have said spoilers. But, well, next episode Sorry we'll figure it out. Um, and, and so I really want the central conflict of the season to start to play out. And I think the central conflict is... Is the, re- the, is the reluctant leader the best leader? And is the king slash queen who believes they deserve to be on the throne but may not have a rightful claim to said throne actually someone that you want to lead and and what happens in that area of conflict where you're not the rightful heir, you're, you're not the rightful king, queen, but you think you're the best, what happens? That's the central conflict, I think, of the season and maybe of the whole series, and I want that to begin to blow open before we get a huge hour-long fight scene in episode three.
1: Yeah, I think the, the Danny stuff and how that plays out is going to be really interesting because she is very much the this is what I was born to do, I am I think she's titles, titles, titles. The more things go, the more... Again, I, I thought that she would have been among the, the safest characters, the safer, right? Yeah. You know, as safe as a character can be in this story, but uh, she would have been the one I picked as most likely to die in this just because, again, like you mentioned, the the reluctant leader is the one that is really the focal point of this story, right? It's the the cripples, bastards, and broken things that we got very early on from, from Tyrion, right? That's one of the, the lines that Tyrion says to Jon, about wearing that as armor and like using that. those are the characters that I think that at least I'm most drawn to in this story, right? It's the Johns, it's the Tyrians, it's, yeah. it's Arya. Like,
0: and, and so then if you get to the theories where maybe uh Tyrion is a Targaryen, we remember in the show, there's more evidence for this in the books because in the books, he's got like two different color eyes and, and there's a whole thing there. But in yeah. the show, he was able to approach the dragons and not get eaten. Uh, and so he may be a Targaryen. And so if you're looking at what this looks like, you're looking at Danny, maybe dying and Tyrion then maybe riding one of the dragons with Jon and then Bran being the Night King. And all three of them have some kind of, you know, basically ice and fire tie um, where they're all dancing together in some kind of weird yeah. dragon sense.
1: I, I hope they I, I feel kind of bad about how they've handled Bran. Um, since he's come back onto the show like i don't feel like they've done the best job there and i think to me he's one of the most interesting characters because like he is the magical element of this story right he's the one that brings a lot of those things to the table and 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 he's supposed to be this like very powerful being and yet they've just kind of turned him into this like super awkward like just fucking staring at people, not really being any value. Like he's not really doing anything that's all that important. Like the only thing that he's done so far is really give us the confirmation. He's been the vehicle to give us confirmation that Jon is actually a Targaryen. Um, But beyond that, like I just don't think they've made the best use of him. So I'm curious to see how his role plays out over these last few episodes and, and what kind of impact that he has
0: come for the football stay for the thrones my friends about,
1: uh, i do we do a whole another hour on we, Game of we could do
0: a whole other hour, but we're not going to because you are uh maybe driving and or on a plane to japan as some people are uh so thanks again as always for tuning in and similarly as always go niners